Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is a podcast about improvisation and imposter syndrome. Today on the show, I have a guest that I have been wanting to talk to for almost as long as I've been doing this podcast, the designer, writer, and educator, Denise Gonzalez-Crisp. Denise is a professor of graphic design and the director of graduate programs for graphic design at North Carolina State University, where she's taught since 2002. But for me, Denise is one of those people who I first encountered through her writing, which has appeared in all sorts of publications like I, Immigre, Design Observer, Design and Culture, and Items Magazine, among others. And she's currently at work on a new book about improvisation and practicing uh, within the classroom. So in this conversation, Denise and I talk about why she started studying graphic design and then going to grad school at Cal Arts and what that was like. Uh, we talk about how she started writing and the differences between her writing processes and her design processes and where they overlap. And she has a lot of really interesting uh, kind of techniques and ideas of how she thinks about writing. And then we also talk about how the classroom is this nexus for all of her interests. There's a lot in this one, especially as we talk about how she thinks about writing syllabi and structuring classes that I know I got a lot out of. Remember, if you're a fan of the podcast and want to help support it, you can become a member for $5 a month or $50 a year. Members get an exclusive monthly newsletter that features behind-the-scenes content, links and articles from former guests about design and writing and criticism, as well as previews of the upcoming episodes. Scratching the Surface is fully supported through these memberships, so if you like the show, if you want to see it continue and help with its ongoing production, I hope that you consider joining. Thanks, as always, for listening, and enjoy this episode with Denise Gonzalez-Crisp. Where the term graphic design came into your life, um, where did you first hear hear that term or realize that this was maybe something you could do? Well, I heard the term first when I was an undergraduate at Art Center in illustration, and mm. I had friends who were graphic designers. But prior to going to that school, I didn't know what graphic design was. Mm -hmm. And then when I was there... <laughs> All my friends who were graphic designers were super neat, meaning very tidy and very careful. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I am not. Mm -hmm. Not that I'm not. I'm totally detail oriented. But, you know, these were the, back then you had to make these like really intricate comps, what we used to call comps, mm -hmm. where they're handmade. And, you know, you have to be really good with rubber cement and stuff like that. And so instead I was illustrations or it could be messy with paint. So, mm -hmm. uh Anyway, after going into illustration, didn't like it. Um, found what didn't you, what didn't you like about illustration? Um, too lonely, like uh, okay. <laughs> right. Yeah, you're sitting alone, and you're you know you're making these stupid pictures of whatever how to tie a bow tie, and I'm like, nah. Uh, so. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, so I don't remember when I finally decided that I wanted to go back for graphic design, but I did go back, I'm going to say 89 for one year, 88, 89. They didn't have a graduate program then, so I just did a one-year focus on graphic design. Um, so it was pretty intensive, three consecutive semesters, and I got all, you know, upper level. So I sort of condensed an, an undergraduate uh degree in that one year so was your your bfa was in illustration then and then you went yes went I back to do that one year okay. illustration with a minor in fine art that sounds it should have been the exact opposite right okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so insulting yeah. a minor in fine art that's hilarious oh my gosh <laughs> um can you i i so i i, I have two questions kind of because i think there's two things in there's two things in there that strike me as interesting. Um, one that you you were kind of studying illustration, you know, minor in fine art. Uh, you and that the thing you didn't like about that was the the solitude. Right. And did you see? Were you interested in the practice or the work of graphic design when you were looking at your friends who were 
studying this or did you see it as because you kind of mentioned you're like oh it was technical it looked detailed and and you were maybe not that um or did you just see it as something that was inherently more social this is just something where i can be with other people how did you kind of uh what was it that made you go back to do that one year i guess is the question i'm trying to ask i think i felt that there was a lot more depth potential uh, mm. in design versus illustration Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, what I didn't like about illustration, just being sort of like a, you know, regular illustrator, not a super famous name, mm-hmm. um, was, you know, the insipid assignments that I would get. So mm-hmm. I liked the, the, the fact that design was more, is more involved with language. I, I ended up falling in love with typography, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know that the social aspect of design came to me until probably gra- even after graduate school, I would say. Oh, interesting. <clears throat> yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. And that that's as much a part of kind of self-awareness, right? It has developmentally taken me a long time to realize I really need people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> so... You know, it goes from that kind of like I'm going to be the the um, the heroic artist in my atelier, mm-hmm. and to you know, let's get together and make s'mores and <laughs> drink whiskey right, and right. make design. You know, right. So right. Uh, it's taken me a long time to get there, but uh, one of interestingly, spring, speaking of typography, I realized that most strongly when I was writing that book because it was mm-hmm. I was a solo author. Um, we were on a tight deadline. I had never written a book before, and mm-hmm. it was it was I think emotionally very difficult. Um, but uh, so that's part of why too. I thought I'm never doing that again. I'm never doing that alone. So before I want to talk about writing in a second, but just just to kind of follow up on something that you said about. Um, kind of feeling not feeling the importance of the social aspect to it until grad school um can you talk a little bit about the kind of time in between undergrad and graduate school and then why you know you 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 get this one year kind of intensive um why you then wanted to go back to grad school again go to CalArts and what what you wanted from that experience yeah so i mean it's a uh, design being a, des- a graphic designer, certainly everything I experienced in graphic design, working for an agency, came true. Right, so I, mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, I was able to work on bigger projects, and um, you know, got into the digital stuff and worked with the clients, all that stuff. You know, won awards that I submitted to various things, and I just. I think it was the content that um, was, I felt, stultifying. Mm. And, yeah, I just didn't see where that it was going anywhere. Like, I, I was asking myself, like, do I want to be making yeah. doors in 10 years? <laughs> like, Yeah, yeah. No, I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. I mean, that's basically why I went to grad school, too, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I really and, think about it. And I just wasn't the kind of person who would maybe open their own agency. And, you know, because there's mm. a, you know, a level of complexity and um, and challenge if you have your own agency that I think could could have been very interesting. And that was one of the options. It was either. um, Yeah. No, it wasn't. That was a later decision. But anyway, so so I felt like I didn't want to build on what I had. I wanted mm. to kind of turn uh, a different direction. And interestingly, um, you know, so there was career, which is, you know, you have this kind of mo- mental model of what that is. Yep. And, yeah. then, um, and then there's going back to grad school end of career <laughs> right yep, yep. Because, because that was i opted for cal arts which yeah know, and that was a very part of a, my decision was 
okay, I'm never going to work again. Because <laughs> that was what, that was, that was 93, right? And so that yeah. was that crazy ass, you know, art yeah. school on the West Coast, or sorry, design school. So, but I was willing to do that because I could see that, you know, I might have, there might be something more interesting on the other end. I mean, I, it's so funny to hear you say that, um, you know, and to think about that, that's kind of how you thought about it in the early nineties, because I definitely, in my final year of grad school, kind of had this realization of, oh, (laughs) I may have just ruined, like, I'm doing the most interesting work. I'm the most kind of like creatively and intellectually engaged as I've ever been, but none of this stuff makes me more employable. (laughs) I may have just torpedoed all of this. And I've talked to so many people who have gone through that same exact experience that that, like part of grad school is that idea of I'm ending my career and I'm just going to try to start something, something new has to emerge out of this. So it's interesting that it's kind of always been like that. Yeah. Well, one of my clients was an architect. And when I told him I was going to grad school, he said, there's no R the ROI on that is terrible. (laughs) Okay. Thanks. (laughs) So did you, I mean, what did you think that new thing would be? You know, uh, I mean, obviously CalArts in the 90s, um, we all know what that, you know, what was kind of happening in the air at that time. Did you have a, were you interested in those kind of um, theoretical discussions that were starting? Were you interested in this kind of, you know, uh, designer as author, postmodernism? What what did you see as next for you at that time? I absolutely um, connected with that, and that's why I, mm-hmm. I wanted to go there. Um, I also had a good friend, I think you've interviewed her, uh, Callie Nikitas. Have you? I have not. Okay. I know of her, but I've never talked yeah. to her yet. Um, we had met, I had gone to Depro- what was called Deprogram then in Holland. I mean, mm. then Holland now, in, <laughs> in, um, in the Netherlands. And that was a four months, really amazing, life changing trip. Um, so, so got very connected with what was happening in the Dutch design world, met some, mm. the, I met the very young, um, Mavis and Van Derzen. <laughs> nice. I met Rob Schroeder, um, yeah. uh, um, just the, the connections we made, the way that they talked about design, that it was so much it was just sort of part of their life. And there was space for that. Like, mm-hmm. In other words, mm-hmm. people in, in the Netherlands know of design. And, right. Um, and so, so I think it was that trip coming back. And also I had been exposed to emigrate actually much earlier, 85, 86. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought this is just remarkable <laughs> You know, it's the kind of thing you look at and go, are they allowed to do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I think I think I was very much into that sort of strain, if you will, the mm-hmm. because I had been to been to both Hall, I'd been to the Netherlands, been exposed and very interested in emigre. You know, became educated about. Uh, Kitty and Fella. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I knew Lorraine Wilde's design work and book work. She was, um, you know, she was one of my heroes. I'd applied to her studio when I'd gotten out of, um, yeah, after that year. Um, so, yes, I don't think I answered your question exactly, but the the point there is. I knew what I was getting into. Right. Which, yeah, yeah that, and that was kind of basically what my question, yeah, <laughs> right. question was. Um, and I want to, I, I promise this whole conversation won't just be kind of going through your, <laughs> your career step by step, yeah. but was this around the time that you started writing then also? Because you had mentioned, you mentioned the typography book earlier in the conversation. And as I was thinking about talking to you, you are one of a handful of, of designers and, and people in design that I was first introduced to uh, through writing. Um, you know, I, I saw you for many years uh, through the writing that you did, not yeah. through any of the other stuff that you did. Yeah. 
Uh, and I'm kind of curious how that all started and, and kind of how you think about writing in relationship to these other things. I did start writing at CalArts. Um, okay. I did. I took a, I don't know why, frankly. <laughs> I think I think it might have been um, a few things. One, in a de- in Lorraine Wilde taught a, this two-semester design history course. Which oh, right. I think everybody should. I wish it were all recorded. Maybe it should mm-hmm. be. Um, Can I tell you something that I've yeah. never I've never said publicly on the podcast, oh. and I might I might edit this out because I might like get self-conscious about it. I interviewed Lorraine about a year ago, and it is the only episode where I ever lost the audio, like the audio file got corrupted. Oh my gosh, that's terrible! And we talked at length about that class, um, and the the audio is gone and so we have not done a re-recording yet uh, oh. <laughs> and i'm so embarrassed and so mad and it was such a lovely conversation uh only time it's ever happened that's incredible yeah uh. anyway when you said you wished that the class was recorded i was like well i had a kind you of part that. of it recorded <laughs> yeah yeah um so anyway, so in that course, uh, there were readings. She lectured, of course, but then there were readings and then you had to write every week on the reading. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And because I was in grad school and because I didn't, you know, wasn't interested in doing research paper, nor was there, there that called for, mm-hmm. um, I started to develop a, an opinion about the texts rather than just a reporting out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I used that to like I don't know sometimes I would critique the thing we've read or and or critique the writing or critique a, a, mm. or you know sort of spar with William Morris you know mm-hmm. calling himself a, a communist socialist you know, like, right yeah um, so I think it might have started there and then I uh, I enjoyed it and especially just because it's you know it's a voice it's Mm-hmm. it's like making anything uh, mm-hmm. like making a design responding to something mm-hmm. and then I took um I don't it wasn't it might have been a writing course or it might have been a theory course in which there was writing um from one of the critical the um faculty in critical mm-hmm. studies and uh mm-hmm. I, that's where I really started writing because um I felt very self-conscious in that context because, of course, you know that the faculty member had done all the homework and yeah. all that stuff around the theory. Yeah. Where I was just like, I felt like I was this little, you know, it's like those little tiny dogs that are yapping up at the big Dane, great Dane. That's what I felt like. Yeah. So, um, but but at one point, you know, I was sort of hemming and hawing, talking about a piece I'd written, and he said. Oh, you can write. <laughs> Shut up. Mm-hmm. You can just do it. Mm-hmm. So um, that was a shot in the arm. And then he served on my thesis, which was a written thesis, but it was a document uh, called Graphesis <laughs> that, um, okay. that was this combination of design and writing and playing around with the language, with creative writing, with creative fiction. Uh, with um, creative nonfiction, reporting um, on what things going on. So it was just this quilt of, mm. you know, I'd say, what was it, 60, 60 pages um, of mm. image and text working together. Uh, also, just prior to that, I had submitted a writing piece to... Am Burdick was editing Mouthpiece. Right. And that's that. when Am Burdick and Andrew Blauvelt were here at NC State. Okay. <laughs> so they were, so they were editing, uh, uh, she was editing. I submitted something. It got in. That's how I met in. And, um, and that was a real sort of turning point because at, I wrote it. And it was like, you know, sufficiently snarky for a graduate student. Um, uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> as it has to be. As yeah. it has to be, right? Yeah. And um and then I was also designing it. And then when I was designing it, I realized that I was designing it kind of in my old head. 
I don't know mm. if that makes sense. Like, um, I see if I can articulate it. Um, like in a way, the design made too much sense. It was too easy. It was. Oh right. And I remember waking up thinking that at like two or three in the morning, and I went down to the Macintosh, and <laughs> mm-hmm. I spent the next five hours just totally re, just challenging myself. Um, mm-hmm. And so the result is Ways of Looking Closer. That was in Emma Gray, the first issue of Mouthpiece. Right. So I, it's interesting to hear you say that about the kind of like the uh, where you are writing it and designing it kind of at the same time. And as you were talking about what you loved about writing and this idea of kind of the voice um, and that you were forming these opinions – it's interesting that you said one of the reasons why you went to grad school and why you were kind of, uh, you know, you could see kind of your career ahead of you in some ways and, and think like, is this, am I doing these brochures? It was yeah. partially a question of content and yes. was, did you see writing as a way to, you know, rethink that content? Like, did yeah. you see writing as content for design at that yes. point? Yes, 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 absolutely. And of course the conversation then was that language is voice? I'm sorry. That visual language is voice. That yeah, visual yeah. Uh, that uh, form is content. Um, and of course, uh, you know, I've always said I think Cal Arts. You know, people say, "Oh, well, that's not a research school," and that's nonsense. <laughs> it's it's a it's a it's form research, right? It's yeah, understanding yeah. that that form speaks, and so to then you know, add on this cartridge of being able to supply the content uh, as well. It's heady stuff. It's, it's very fun. <laughs> and um, so I, I think that's well put that, that the writing was almost imminent because I was continuously kind of not very excited about the stuff I'd have to design. Right. Uh, yeah. Right. Do you think... Uh, This is potentially a weird way to kind of frame this question. Did you think at the time and maybe still today, do you approach writing as a designer? Do you know what I mean? Uh, Especially like having your advisor, your advisor saying you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I tend, like I can't write things i can i can write things in times roman 12 point double space <laughs> i can do that in fact okay. i'm having to do it right now with the manuscript but yeah my preferred way of writing is in a um in something that is much more visual so i'll you know choose a typeface and create the format and you know mm. i don't just open a document and start writing i like i create a space for the writing in the mm-hmm. visual so a visual space so, and, and it affects how I write. Um, so, for instance, and that makes me think of a couple of things, um, you know, uh, Jack Kerouac writing on a mm. continuous mm-hmm. um, sheet of paper on the typewriter, or um, uh, John Christopher Jones, the person who wrote Design Methods, also wrote Designing Designing. And in right. that book, he has many, I would call, that he, he calls them sort of, well, they're improvisational or, you know, you set up, they're conditional. So he sets a set of rules mm-hmm. and then writes to those rules. So he might write, you know, a quote or something in the middle of a page or somewhere, or he right. might put a yeah. paper and then he just types around it, writes around it. So those, that coupling of the visual the and the system or the process by which you're going to write as well as what you're going to write it's a very, it's very rich. And so, um, and then now I write syllabuses in, um, in sheets, <laughs> like mm, okay. in Excel sheets. <laughs> so, Oh, interesting. Yeah. No, they're not Excel. It's Google sheets, but in right, fact, yeah, yeah. I've been doing this for a while. So, so what I'm doing, my medium now I'm designing and writing my courses in spreadsheets. Can, can, I want to talk more. I want to like ask you how you do that, but I want to, you know, 
I, I feel like there's a subset of designers and it sounds like you are one of these people. I, I think I'm one of these people that um, you're either a designer that kind of is allergic to spreadsheets or you are a designer that really likes spreadsheets. And I am one of those that really likes spreadsheets uh, <laughs> and, and love spending time in, in Excel or Google Sheets. Um, but I've never thought about doing a syllabus in it. Can How do you do that? I'll have to send you a picture because um, it's a designed thing. I mean, the basic the wonderful thing is it's a grid. <laughs> so mm-hmm. Yeah. Got exactly. that down. <laughs> exactly. And not only that, it's a pliable grid. Yeah. And so it's, a, it's fun to me. In fact, I'm writing a proposal right now for Waze Goose, it, which is in t- two, two rivers, um, okay. Wisconsin. And that's where the Hamilton wood type museum yeah. is. Yeah. 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 Which I think, I mean, I haven't laid hands on a letterpress probably since I was, there doing a res- little three-day residency um which is i don't know it was before i wrote the book so mm-hmm. anyway my point is i'm writing something called the letter press zen of spreadsheets <laughs> okay <laughs> and I'm i love it already set, and i'm i'm intending to write it in spreadsheets <clears throat> i just have an outline now but my proposal will be in spreadsheets i'm not sure how it connects with actual physical matter but i'm going to try to see where that goes is your process in designing and writing different and how are they similar because it's interesting to me to hear how you how interested you are in the process of putting together the form of the text does that come out of or is that similar to your process of uh designing you know what i mean yeah i i'm not sure i can I'm not sure I could claim a process of either um, in okay. the sense that um, where, where, like I was saying, what that structure is, I guess, is usually mm-hmm. the first question that comes to mind in both. Not so much the structure of writing, but the where I am placing down the words. Um, I'm getting better at being able to structure writing to me. I've never, you know, like I was not that kid in college who could do an outline. I don't know how to do that. Yeah. (laughs) It's just, I don't know what I'm going to say yet. How can I put it in an outline? (laughs) Now I'm better at, now I realize it doesn't have to be an outline. It's just sort of capturing, you know, different Mm -hmm. thought, but, um, so I'm better at it, but I don't, where, where maybe the crossover or the shared things would be, I'm definitely, as a designer, I will just try to make something. I don't, I don't sit there and sketch and sketch and sketch. You know, I just start making something and then I, mm-hmm. then I make something else and make something else. So uh, iteration is really, or uh, is a way to get ideas. And I, <laughs> so maybe in that way it affects design for me. Whereas we have this, um, I guess if you want to say a kind of, you know, steps of making first you ideate, then you iterate. Well, I kind mm-hmm. of flipped that over because iterating is a, is a form of sketching and thinking it through. So I iterate and then that gives me ideas. So I would say that's true of writing too. And, and, and maybe process was too rote of a word for kind of what I, what I was thinking about. And I, I mean, you, I'm not saying that you didn't answer the question, but I, I guess what's interesting to me, I've been thinking about this. I just finished a big essay uh, for somebody. And so I've been thinking about how the the challenges that I have when I'm designing versus the challenges that I have when I'm writing, the, the kind of ways I work through problems uh, where they're different. And in design, historically, I have been one of the always making things and kind of whittling it away, keep iterating. But mm-hmm. in writing for a long time, I like couldn't start writing until I yeah. had a sentence uh, or an idea. That, yeah. And I'd be walking around thinking about it. And it's like, okay, here's the sentence that I want to open with. And then it flows. And with this piece that I just finished, I tried to do that iterative. I was just kind of like, I'm just going to, you know, capture all of this and see all, much more how I design. And it completely changed the piece in a lot of ways, I think. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because I think you're right. When you're new to anything, right, you're going to 
it, there's going to be that tentativeness mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. laying those first marks or words or whatever down. Um, and that what you're describing, I think, is the realization that you get after many years of designing that, mm-hmm. you know, the ideas, you, you, the ideas will come as you make things. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> but, but as a going to the writing, I think you definitely like, well, what you're describing there is probably what real writers do. <laughs> I would right. call real writers, right? Right, right. In other words, their craft is as very much like, you know, it's like any creative, um, any creative thing is, you know, that just start, yeah, <laughs> you know, right. write it down. Right. It's a practice, mm-hmm. right? It's not a, it's not a thing. It's a practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have to do it, not every day, but you know, you have to continue to do it, et cetera. So it could be that we just didn't come to writing first. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it is, and I don't mean to turn this into some sort of, you know, therapy or something, but uh, <laughs> in, in the process of working on this piece, I, I kind of realized, you know, like everybody, I have a, an imposter syndrome about everything that I do, but my imposter syndrome when I'm do when I'm writing for somebody uh, is much higher than my imposter syndrome when I'm designing something for, right, for somebody. Right. And it's always been that. And every piece that I write is like, here's the one where everyone's going to realize that I'm not a writer, that, that, <laughs> that this is the, the sham is up. Um, and I have that well, in design, but nowhere yeah. near the writing. And I do think it is because I've been, you know, these kind of conditions. I've been trained as a designer. I went to school as a designer. Writing is something I've like, taught myself I think you're exactly right so I think it has to do for me I've been fortunate to be able to write in a certain way so as I was developing Mm. a kind of voice or an attitude that I preferred um, I had opportunities to have those published and so an example is um, so after I did the first emigre the looking closer um, I had two opportunities through Rudy to, he said, one of them was, he just said, I've been getting all these fanzines and all this kind of things. Would you like to write an article about oh. these? So he sends me this box of things from all over the world. <laughs> yeah. So I had this conversation with this box of, with these, with these zines. And, and then the other one was a critique, um, no, I can't remember what it was. Anyway, oh yeah, it was for Rick Valicenti's mm. books. Mm-hmm. It's incredible that and something else. But my point there is that in both of those cases, I was able to um, take on these these personas, right? Right. And, and write in personas, and that was something I had developed in the graphesis, the thesis mm. thing. Mm-hmm. So I had the opportunity. Things I was just dipping my toe into in for the for the graduate thesis project that I then got to really dive into in um, these emigre articles. I wrote, so, so it really expanded. So, so it was sort of this, this Petri dish that I created Mm -hmm. (laughs) that then I could take out little bits and grow full, you know, grow. Yeah. I like that. Um, And that's what I always, when I talk to students about their thesis, you know, they always, I mean, we did it too, right? You just think it's mm-hmm. this grand thing that's one going to be the worst thing ever, and two <laughs> needs to be the best thing right, ever. Right, so, right. Conflict there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, versus, you know, what you're doing is you're creating seeds for the next ten years, you know, and further because that's going to lead to other things. So. Yeah, that's exactly that's, right. Yeah. Uh, so I did have opportunity to write invoices i did a couple of early on i did some writing for um like book reviews Mm -hmm. or um an opinion piece or two for like print right i yeah yeah um but i didn't i don't enjoy those as much (laughs) (laughs) well i have i have I have one more question about writing and then I want to completely turn and talk about teaching for a bit to kind of, to, you know, kind of take us into the the last part of the conversation. But, you know, you mentioned earlier that 
talking about kind of writing also as a practice, you should do it kind of every day, kind of talking about, I'm even thinking about why you didn't like illustration and that kind of solitary, the solitude of that and how Mm -hmm. writing is that solitude. And I'm, I'm interested in what, how you think about or how you write today. Are you writing every day? Do you have that kind of solitude now again that you you try to get away from? Yeah. uh, uh, And when you say solitude versus um, like social or, or collaborating or something, right? Yeah. I, I do not have the solitude of writing anything I'm writing well, let's see. Um, anymore, of late, I write or and or discuss with others while I'm writing. So, mm-hmm. um, Gail Swanland and I just did something for Slanted mm. that Ian asked us to do, um, and and she he had asked her to to write it, and then she asked me. We're very close. Okay. And uh, to so we would collaborate on it, and then. It was the best writing experience we've ever had because we're both kind of we're both on the same wavelength in terms mm-hmm. of how uh, establishing that voice. We're now good enough writers that we can do that. Mm-hmm. We're able to do that, and our imagine and so it became this kind of imaginative romp. So you know, she just started out with just jotting down these things, something of it, you know, something of an outline, but not really. <laughs> then I would pull something up and write a sentence and then she'd go, that's so good. And then we would write it back. And, yeah. and we were doing it in a Google doc and we did yeah. some, something we really love. So I, and then I told you I'm not, I'm writing the book with Nita mm-hmm. Abdullah in part because she's a former uh, grad student because Mm. I don't want to do it alone. So, right. yeah, I don't have, I would say I do not do it. it. I do write every day, but I write, I craft emails. I, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, I work on my syllabus. <laughs> right. Because there's a lot, there's a lot of writing in the, what I have, what's called the dynamic syllabus. So there's a lot of response that I need to make in there, in mm. this space. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, I was asked to design, okay, Benjamin Gatos, who's at Flint, uh, uh, sorry, he lives in Detroit, teaches at Flint. Okay. They have Flint Magazine. They, he and his wife, Julia, um, run Flint Magazine. Julia also has another publication that is publishing an essay by Peter Lunenfeld. Peter Lunenfeld and I worked together on... Um, utopian entrepreneur way back mm. in the day mm-hmm. and then um so but ben who had seen my dynamic syllabus said i want you to design could you just des- does it we have an essay by peter lunenfeld do you want to design it in a spreadsheet oh yeah. i'm like hell yeah yeah <laughs> yes yeah huh. <laughs> so so I then I contacted Peter uh-huh. and I haven't talked to him in years. So I emailed him and said, I'm going to do this thing. And, um, and now it's going to be more of a collaboration between us. Okay. So, so it's not just me designing it. Yeah. That, that's so interesting. It, I mean, it connects, it, it connects all of these things we're talking about. And, you know, cause there is this idea of, of uh, collaboration or, uh, you know, the, yep. the bringing people together, the kind of social aspect of it, which, leads us nicely into teaching, I think, which is, you know, perhaps the most collaborative of all of these activities that we're talking about. Hopefully, um, yes. Yeah, <laughs> Not in a, always. Yeah. <laughs> in best case world. scenario, yeah. yeah. Um, how, how did you start teaching and what was it about, uh, how did you kind of find yourself, you know, that now that is kind of the, the thing that you do probably the most of, I imagine. Yes, right. And it's, well, interestingly, it's a nexus for all the things I'm interested in. So exactly, yeah. It's kind of per- perfect. Um, it's, okay, when I when did I start teaching? I'm laughing because if my, um, if my younger cousin were to say, <laughs> she'd say, <laughs> you started teaching when you were like seven. Right. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so I even remember, this is a weird, funny thing, but um, I remember 
I said, okay, Kathy, let's play. We're going to play school. Well, okay. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm going to be the teacher. Okay. And then my favoriteest part was <laughs> writing the lessons and mm-hmm. designing the worksheets. <laughs> right. So, right. Of course. You know, I'm eight years old. Like, hello. Yeah. <laughs> I, had a, I have a friend, I think it's Gail, who said, whatever you were doing when you were seven, is what you should probably do for the rest of your life. I was just going to say that. I feel like <laughs> I feel like I'm the same way. Like all the stuff that I was doing when I was 7 years old is basically this I'm still just doing the exact same thing. <laughs> Great. It has not changed. <laughs> <laughs> With a little bit of side side trip in there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. On the way. Um so but I t- I taught my first class at Art Center uh, High School. Mm. Art Center has a thing called Saturday High. And this was in that year. I just, I think it was during maybe, the, it was in the last semester um, of that one year. So I would have been 89. And so that was high school, Saturday High. And then I started teaching Art Center at night, which mm. is, you know, uh, Mm-hmm. two nights a week so just one class here and there and I don't I've just always I've actually frankly never thought about why I like it but um, it's certainly nerve-wracking like it's not because I want I'm an authority um, yeah I think it, some of it may be the maybe the um, the social part of it maybe you know it's exciting to introduce to people who really want to know something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, you know, so the classes, of course, in design at Art Center at night, they were all quite eager because they were trying to get into the uh, graduate, the, mm-hmm. sorry, the, mm-hmm. the program. So, you know, it was sort of this nice connection to that aspiration, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, as time has gone on, I've taught a lot of, I've taught all the major, like UCLA, yeah, uh, Otis, CalArts, Art Center. Um, just one class, you know. Yeah. So I got a lot of different experience, different yeah. kinds of students. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you kind of answered it right at the beginning, you know, kind of flippantly. It's the nexus of all of your interests, which is exactly the same for me and why I, I have come to like teaching and feel like that's the core of of my practice um yeah. as someone who's interested in design and content and writing and yeah this and the, people and people <laughs> yeah. and yeah seeing people get interested in a subject um i think it's exactly yeah. right you said something to me we talked a little bit before um uh once before you know recording this, this interview and you said something to me that i've thought about a couple times that um I'd like to ask you about if that's okay, even though this was, sure. that was a, a a not interview conversation. Um, you said something to the effect of that you got into to teaching or education not necessarily because you were interested in education, but because you were interested in changing design in some way. Um, yes. Could you talk more about what you mean by that? Yes. I, when I started teaching, I don't think I had that sense. That mm-hmm. was more like you know, I'm teaching you how to be a designer or mm-hmm. how to prepare to be a designer. Mm-hmm. And then over the years, kind of that lost. It, I saw the sort of I'm going to say I don't want to insult anyone, but you know that can be soulless. I mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, if you're not really developing the person, then right, you're not teaching. Uh-huh. <laughs> in my uh-huh. estimate. Uh-huh. So. So once I, I think at some point I really started moving more toward these are human beings, these are people, and um, I, I, you know, I would, like, I'm just flashing to, like, in the past, it would have been really brave of me, but interesting to have, you know, sat down with students and say, let's, let's propose what chemistry is, (laughs) and let's have a conversation about that, and then let's see how wrong or right we are. And um, that would be in a design class, by the way. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, of course. I got it. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess maybe to change design, to answer your question, 
it's maybe the perception of what it is that designers bring to the world. Mm. And uh, the perception is that we bring things, we bring, we bring the design world, but that comes from, we tend to think of it more like, let's say that has a manufacturing head and not a culture head. Mm. Not that manufacturing is a part of culture, but um, right. So let's say more of a the human part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe it's to know that a human being can know who studies design can know when they go out that they can affect the world. Yes, and they can affect the world in a way that only they can. Yes, and they can't know that if they're just learning how to. <laughs> do logos yes. they have to yeah you have to do that you know although i've recently dropped that from the vocabulary <laughs> <laughs> which reminds me too when my in my my final statement on my this is totally <laughs> disconnected but the final sentence on my th- application for grad school was no more logos it didn't mean the same thing at all <laughs> was, right. i meant it completely different yeah but um anyway so to t- so that people are going out with a way of perceiving the world and a unique ability to change it mm-hmm. because if they are educated to know that any molecule can be moved <laughs> With enough money, time, mm-hmm. etc., whatever connections, but that things mm-hmm. are not are not static, uh, and that yes. designers have a capacity to to kind of move within that. And in fact, that's what this book is about that I'm working on now is the the uses of things like improvisational, situational, circumstantial um, methods, I guess. Method, she mm-hmm. said under her breath. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Forms of uh, pedagogy, mm-hmm. because yeah. you get at you get at things that are not about designing, but they are about creating, establishing, I guess, ways of designing that are more inclusive. Yeah, I mean, you can't, we can't see each other right now, but I just have a big smile and I'm nodding. I was nodding in agreement <laughs> over the last, you know, two minutes of, of your answer. Uh, I agree with that 100%. Um, it's funny who you say uh, that in your, your graduate application, you said no more logos and that you're kind of dropping that from your vocabulary now. And something I was interested in talking to you about is how design education has changed over your career um and i i think one of the big ones um you've already started talking about is is uh this idea of moving away from just kind of training a designer to thinking about the entire person and this idea of design not as an isolated uh but something that affects everything else beyond that are there other kind of big um big changes either in content or or even methods and and maybe that can kind of lead into the book but you know other big kind of evolutions that you've seen as an educator uh over your time as teaching um i would i would say uh, maybe that i have seen but not that has been Mm. sort of Mm -hmm. anything like a groundswell that affected it Mm. until you know, there was the designer of 2015, I think, that Meredith Davis and a number of others wrote for AIGA, which was pointing out how competencies, required competencies in design are changing, and therefore education should change. Right. So I would say that was that was sort of the start, and then that has evolved now into the designer of 2025, and futures, they call it design futures on AIGA. I would say that's the biggest groundswell. And that's actually something that I'm sort of not negating, but resisting Mm. wholesale. Because those discussions are about making design relevant, continuing, you know, so Mm. that design remains relevant. Mm -hmm. 
and that and influential mm-hmm. and that the discipline is more established or more solidified yeah right? yeah to me those are these underlying motives under this umbrella or the ages of um transdisciplinary design right that's going to mm-hmm. be where okay so i'm not thoroughly against that although i do think it smacks of post-taylorism <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think the knowledge that you get that 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 these people are promoting are is very important i think the capacity to uh, move across and understand and have the skills to collaborate with many different kinds of people is important mm-hmm. i think that's more developing the person than you know what they need to know about manufacturing but um so where so i think that's all fine what they what these people are not including is is again that individual mm-hmm. who comes to the table with their you know really interesting set of experiences and ideally would come to the table with a flexibility with openness with expectations for uh, for change knowing that things today are not going to be the same as tomorrow mm-hmm. um, but still kind of moving forward and let's <laughs> see that um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it doesn't go into those kinds of what i would call design skills and very particularly design skills and then also to be able to within those you know the, so we're talking about sort of circumstances but then to be able to articulate and make and um produce and try or essay <laughs> yeah in that in yeah. that uh process to me is sort of being overlooked and that's or at least not discussed so that's what part of why i'm well that so i don't know that this will have any much impact on anything but uh, that's a that's what i feel like i want to talk about yeah and maybe that maybe that connects to you know the last question that i that i often ask guests on the show is kind of what they're thinking about now or where are they uh you know what's next or what are their kind of interests uh at this point in their career and i think you know i wanted to kind of tailor that question a little bit to you to hear a little bit more about this book that you're working on about kind of improv and and kind of you know situational practice uh because i imagine it is what you're thinking about the most and it connects to what you're just talking about can you just to to kind of you know close in on this conversation talk a little bit about the ideas of this book that you're working on and kind of what your interest is around these ideas? Yeah. So um, I think what I just talked about <laughs> yeah. it was, you know, sort of that was the impassioned conclusion. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so to fill in the gaps. Okay. Um, yeah. That's, that's a better way to put it. <laughs> uh, to, to fill in the lead in. Yeah. Or the actual content. Um, so, this book emerged because uh, when uh, I have been developing or trying out, I don't know why improv, I think um, in part trying to find ways where things don't feel so final and threatening. Mm-hmm. Discovering or thinking about and reading about um, improvisational theater where people together build something, there is nothing, you can't say anything wrong. They're, what they say in, is in improv, there are no mistakes, there are only opportunities. Right. Um, and it's collaborative and et cetera. So that is a sort of general principle informed how to handle critique differently. I happened to, I had, uh, Nita Abdullah was my TA at the time when I introduced this idea of improv critique. And um, so then and then she came up with one in that same class called I Wish. And then we had this great sort of dialogue through practicing mm. um, in the classroom with the students. Mm-hmm. And then I cont- we both continued to develop this. Once she um, graduated and then went on to teach, we both mm-hmm. continued to develop this. And so at one point I said, I'm, I want to write this book. Do you want to you co-author? She said, yeah. So... <laughs> Um, so together we have been developing these critiques. So in this book, that's one of the sections is 
um, not just improvisational critiques. We've got a bunch of them that we've used, and so that the the classroom becomes sort of has been our our lab a little bit, and <laughs> we the, and we're very open about it with what we're doing with the students and why we're doing it, which is to keep them from locking themselves down forever, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so the book will also talk about because we know that a lot of people teach say in universities so you can't just have a free-for-all in the space um that uh, it's like how do you structure a course that is more open-ended that includes these kinds of potentials for one not only to be responsive to whatever happens but where the students have agency in determining what happens mm-hmm. um so what are the structures in the classroom? What is the attitudes? We have to change the attitudes of what uh, teachers are. You know, what, what are you doing? Are you standing at the front of the class? Or are you sitting down in the middle class with everyone? Mm-hmm. You have to have mm-hmm. um, a syllabus that isn't a, already the Dead Sea Scroll, right? <laughs> you have to have, it has to be uh, <laughs> yeah. malleable. Students have to, have to be. Uh, be able to add to it students collect their own thoughts Mm. in it there's collective thought in the hub Um, so structures and then um, we get into let's see structures critique I haven't written it yet (laughs) (laughs) right right. I guess we should say you know you're in the proposal phase that's this is what we're talking about in in the proposal phase Um, so there's a section on setting up and utilizing the classroom and it is mm-hmm. a, it's a natural place for that mm-hmm. one on actually structuring the course and allowing students not allowing <laughs> <laughs> and joining students uh, to have agency in affecting that and then project framing um, project slash activity framing like mm-hmm. what are the terms what are things that we've done um, and then and then critique and then the point of this whole book is really to it's a provocation. We intend it to be a provocation. It's not a how-to. Mm-hmm. Sort of, here's what we did. Here's what we found. And then, and then ideally provide a philosophical um, motivation for trying it. I am someone who in the classroom is kind of interested in all of those things and, mm-hmm. you know, like playing with uh, you know, t- today we're all going to sit around a table in class, you know, or. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I was going to say that's actually in the structures. We actually talk about the physical space. Yeah, and, I, I, yeah. I, I think like the space is so interesting. I think, you know, I'm also someone who does all of my uh, syllabi in Google Docs so I can yes. edit as we go. But I've yes. never I never had actually thought about letting the students, you know, comment or something in there. And I, I'm I'm really interested in all of these ideas, but I, I, I don't always know how to, to actually do them in a way that is beneficial to everyone involved, you know, both the students and me. And so yeah. just hearing you talk about and talking about the kind of philosophical underpinnings of it, I just think is such a great idea and is a, a book that is, uh, this sounds so dramatic, but needed, you know, I, I think. Um, thank you. And I've heard that from other educators as well. And um, one thing that is important, we we use the the word practice earlier, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. daily practice. Mm-hmm. Well, the the primary idea here is what we're calling practicing. Mm. So that we think of the classroom as a space for practicing, mm-hmm. and that what that means is, and if you're talking about teachers and students all being participant. Mm-hmm and all under this idea of practicing, then let's say you're in the classroom and you have an idea and you're like, oh, let's try this. That's a form of practicing. Right. So that you're yeah. developing it. You don't have to walk in and say, I know, here's what we're going to do today. In fact, I have done improv stuff with my, I think I did this last semester with my grad students. And, and it was the kind of thing where they would do something, I would respond to it. We would all respond to it. I would respond to it next next that becomes information for the next step mm-hmm. at one point i felt that there was this kind of <laughs> people were like what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> right, right, right. i'm sure there were many such points but yeah. um, the point there is you know i had to stand up and say you know it's not like i'm back home or back at my desk and i'm going hey, hey, hey. You know, I, right. yeah. oh, now 
I've got them. <laughs> you know, oh, they're responding exactly as I had perceived. <laughs> I thought, you know, the scientific experiment is working. Nothing like that. I said, I don't know what's coming next either. Yeah. And that's part of the point. So that's a really hard sell. <laughs> yeah. Really hard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's why I, that's why I'm kind of so excited uh, <laughs> to read this when, when you do write it and, and when it does come out, because in a weird way, I, I feel like all of these ideas connect to everything else that we've talked about. You know, it is this idea of, of, uh, you know the social and the collaborative and the practice and the 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 form and the content it all comes together in this book which was not planned to end that way but actually is a nice way to kind of wrap all of this up this was such a That's great right. conversation thank you so oh, much for yes. being on no, the podcast thank you. it was really great thank you so much this episode was recorded on March 13th, 2020. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.